Yes, we are back at Film Fight Club for a summer special, doing it our way. Yes, uh, this is Virat Nehru. And this is Chris Evans. Our regular host, Glenn Falkenstein, is away, and so the mice will play. Yes, that's, that's really good, actually, yeah. Congratulations, Chris. I'm oh, very impressed by your thank, rhyming thank you. skills. Thank you, thank you. It's uh, it's Mutual Appreciation Society, formerly known as uh, <laughs> Film Fight Club. Yes, the the Lynch and Malik fans have reunited. <laughs> yes, that's in right. In this very special episode, without Glenn, because we're doing it our way. I'll try to work in some Lynch and Malik references. I almost forgot. Thank you for the, the pre-reminder. <laughs> I mean, will it be a Film Fight Club episode without Lynch and Malik? Yep. Yeah, Our patron gods <laughs> are cinephiles. That's right. We're doing a summer special episode where we'll talk about some of the significant films <laughs> that have been released over the summer, but not all of them, because Film yeah. Fight Club has never been completionist <laughs> and isn't going to start now. Okay, we'll be talking about Glass, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Aquaman, Vice, and The Favourite. How's your summer been going? Yeah, it's pretty hot out here, to be honest. It's, I don't know which part of the world you guys are, but if you're in Australia or Sydney or one of those places, Heatwave. it's... Yeah, yeah, pretty... Hot, but not in a good way. Victoria is pretty hot at the moment yeah. as well. Yeah, um, well, I'm going to the Aussie Open for tennis. So I'm going to see my one true love, Roger Federer. Funny you say that. I'm going to my one true love, Rainbow Serpent, in Victoria. <laughs> so we'll have to meet next week, and maybe some of our ramblings will make it into a future episode. Yeah, well, you know, uh, in the good times, I think uh, both of our one true loves could coexist. That's I true. I would love to see Roger Federer at Rainbow Serpent one, one year. That could be. That could like, be. He could one be like you know one of the cool dads. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like 20 years from now. So Something, you could be one of those things like, man, fame doesn't matter. Right, you know, right. what? what is even being famous? You know, I did everything. All that, all that really matters everything. is this moment right exactly, now. Exactly, right now. Yeah. Who am I? Am I even Roger Federer? Or am I just some dude talking to some other dude about some things? Mm. Yeah. Speaking of dudes talking to dudes about things, <laughs> we saw the big new release of the week, Glass. It's full of dudes talking to dudes. If we're using dudes in the gender neutral sense, because often yeah. it's a woman doing the talking. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, you're yeah. right. Anyway, dudes talk to dudes about stuff in the new film from M. Night Shyamalan. Bruce Willis is dead. Bruce Willis is dead. Bruce Willis is dead. So, once again, reuniting with Bruce Willis of The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable fame. He doesn't play a ghost in this one. Oh, we broke, we broke another Film Fight Club rule for no spoilers. Sorry, dude. Sorry, Glenn. But yeah, honestly, The Sixth Sense, that was the least impressive part about that movie. Yeah, Bruce Willis is dead. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, M. Night Shyamalan is prone to... But it's not that great a twist, is it? Like, you know, he's just been dead. You just see ghosts. You know, just get on with it. Yeah, the M. Night Shyamalan, all the hype around him is about his twists, but often they... They're pretty lame. Usually (laughs) they're pretty lame. Also, like, actually, there's so much more interesting stuff going around his actual filmmaking rather than the twist. Yeah. I don't even watch his movies with a plot. The plots are the least interesting thing about his style, style of filmmaking. 
that goes for the same with Glass, which also has a pretty lame twist. Yeah. So for those playing at home, Glass is the sequel to Unbreakable and also to the stealth continuation of the Unbreakable universe split. Once more, M. Night Shyamalan is back with a very abstract, unusual... I don't know if abstract is the right way to put it, actually, because it it explains things a lot. It does. I mean, it, there's a lot of exposition about exposition. And this it, it is sort of deep monologues about what it means to be a superhero, what yeah. it means to be a hero, are comic book people real? That's right. You know, and it, but it's also incredibly self-serious, but also goofy. Yeah, goofy is the word. It's a very strange mix. Basically, this film catches up with the reluctant superhero and unbreakable David Dunn, who is now... Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun, <laughs> I like how he was given a nice comic booky name. You know, yeah, like yeah. the two, two of the same, you know, first name, last name, Peter Parker. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Well, that's the, yeah, didn't even same hit sound. me until yeah. you just pointed that. Easter uh, eggs. Right. He is now stalking around Philadelphia neighborhoods, fighting crime, and he's on the case of The Horde, the split personality killer played by James McAvoy. He's so good. I mean... He's amazing in this almost, movie. I sometimes feel James McAvoy doesn't deserve to be... In this universe, because he's he too he, ele- he elevates the film, but I think Shyamalan meets him because the filmmaking around his character is actually M Night Shyamalan at his best. So I wonder if it, this is just a magic collaboration. It is that- because actually, the physicality of James McAvoy's sort of presence and what he can do and bring to these characters actually comes about because of how Shyamalan is doing his camera positioning. And, you know, there are some very interesting jump scares that happen yeah. because of how Shyamalan has positioned the camera. Well, there's a there's a really interesting way that Shyamalan frames the Horde, James McAvoy, switching between his personalities with, in one shot with a camera moving over between somebody lecturing him. And then each time the camera pans back, it's a different personality that we're yeah. seeing from James McAvoy. It, it, it's very neat filmmaking. And also, like, something you're probably taught in film school, but you kind of forget the bigger you become. Because mm. sometimes the basic things kind of actually work better. Shyamalan is getting a lot of hate for this film. I feel like we're going to be some of the few to give this a positive review. Let, let's go through the plot first, because before we come to the sort of exposition part, yeah, because yeah. we actually like this movie, and I know we're going to get how to justify it quite yep. a bit, why we liked it. Film Fight Club is back with the hottest contrarian, yeah, very Contra- contrarian. Very contrarian episode coming up. <laughs> I was surprised because I went in to hate this movie. And I, mean, I you was went ready, to, I hate, was ready, ready to, to hate this. Yeah. But also, there's so much negativity about this film right now on the internet but and the critical discourse. Like, is, yeah, if is we that, take that away Split yeah. and people who were reintroduced to this universe yeah. through Split and not through you know, Unbreakable, this is closer in tone to Unbreakable in a very grounded sensibility yeah, than I Split. Think so. I think Split is this kind of outlier hmm. which raised people's expectations about the superhero genre. Yeah. But this movie is, is a sibling to Unbreakable in how the tone is set. That's right, because I think people were expecting a big superhero throwdown because that's what the ending of Split seems to suggest. We've built up this big villain and, oh my God, the, the grand hero, what's he been like and, in the last and, and years? And is clever enough to take the mickey out of that because yeah. he keeps referring to the showdown this ent- yeah, yeah, entire yeah. movie but which is pretty funny did, I thought. yeah that's right i think a big focus of this film is about swerving from expectations everything is smaller scale than you might imagine and whenever something large scale is <laughs> is built up it doesn't happen 
<laughs> Meanwhile, we have Samuel L. Jackson reprising his role from Unbreakable, Mr. Glass. Very breakable, very fragile. Very, very fragile. The title character of this film, the comic book super nerd giving commentary, explaining how this, the smaller scale skirmishes we're, we're witnessing are actually, this is the final showdown. This is the big climax. And a lot of people are saying this is showing Shyamalan's two up his own ass and it's all self-serious. I actually think this movie's very self-aware and scenes like that show it. Like, the, you know, grand music playing while people have a fight in a parking lot. Yeah, and oh God, these sort of... It's also, goofy as hell. And, the and dramatic Sam Jackson, confrontation yeah. scenes are shot in a way that make them more grand than they actually are. But, if you really can, look about it, these are two, two very old dudes trying very hard to be yeah. like, there's, something, there's a lot of physical comedy going on, yeah. but not actual grandiose but, histrionics. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Shyamalan actually does know what he's doing with the contrast between the small scale and the the grand scale of you know the music and the framing that there's a level of self-awareness of the absurdity and the goofiness of comic book movies i think a lot of people are missing this because it doesn't come with the kind of ironic winking which yeah, I, I, marvel I, movies for example I, always if ever they try to show their self-awareness it's in the way of you know deprecating themselves and and flattering the audience yeah. whereas this film i think is actually Though it's aware of how ridiculous it is, very, very sincere. It, it's very sincere, but also it's making fun of both. It's making fun of its own genre, its own mm. sort of roots, and also the audience for its expectations. Yeah. So in a way, Shyamalan is giving the bird to his own film, and also the audience were expecting a certain kind of film from him. Yeah, that's which right. Which is, I think... It's a total swerve. Because some people usually think that Shyamalan is too smart for his own good. Mm. Like, you know, that... That's not a trait in filmmakers that you should admire. Right. I'm not sure where I sit on that, but I can see if people would argue from that perspective that he's being deliberately a kind of a a hole. Right. Then yeah, sure. Um, when you were bringing up before the fight scenes, I've seen people complaining. I shouldn't be spending so much time reviewing the other reviewers on this movie, but here I go. I've seen people complaining about the fight scene, saying they're awkward and strange, but to me, that was what made them great. As you, you mentioned before, Virat, that we're just watching a bunch of like middle-aged men grunting at each other. <laughs> yeah, well, but hilarious. That's what they yeah. are. But, but that's Very what... laugh-out-loud moments, and yeah, I actually yeah. was laughing quite loudly. Me too. But at the same time, I was getting G'd up. You know, I was yeah. getting, I was getting into it. Yeah. The, the the action scenes are, you know, men running at each other, sort of wrestling and gripping each other and banging into things, which is what yeah. a real life fight between two burly yeah. titans would be like. Exactly. But also, like, if if you think about it, if you think about the scope and the location of this movie and how it doesn't change with the majority of it. These are just two people confined in a space, and then all they do is get out to a park or a garden. Yeah, you know they don't really exactly. go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's like. But it's epic. But it's but epic because you made it out to the garden. You know? It's like okay, I just took a walk. Yeah, I made cool. it to the garden. <laughs> yeah. Most of the movie is con- is confined to one location, and most of the film is conversations. The the plot is really. It seems like it's going to go into some sort of Shyamalan mega twist territory. Where is this a psychological thriller where we start to question whether yeah. anything in the previous film was real <laughs> or whether it all just existed in, in the, the characters' minds. And I actually found um, some of this stuff really interesting, or at yes. least the feeling that the rug might be pulled from under me at any moment. But the, also, that would be a very interesting film about mental health, actually. The film if we were could to have go been from more there. interesting than it was. You know, I, I, if we were to embrace the mental health aspect and see I agree. where that would have taken I actually it. wish the film had gone further in that direction. 
because I think there are ways that it could have been true to its themes, this, the same themes that come out in the, the actual trajectory of the film without pulling us in. I, I think, look, the ending is one of the weak points. It's too sudden. There's a massive late stage yeah. Shyamalan twist, which isn't explored enough. True. comes too late in, in the film to really resonate and i think but also i don't think this film needed a twist to be honest no i don't think i mean i mean the actual backbone of this movie is about what it's trying to communicate through its themes i wish it had just stuck to the direction it was going and and brought those themes because the the final the final scene uh, was actually poignant for me and you know when right that happened and right right how it's filmed so without the twist i actually would have bought the sincerity of it yeah, I mean, um, the twist is actually the, the, unnecessary. Right. The weak point of M. Night Shyamalan, I think, has always been his writing and more specifically his dialogue, uh, which is terrible. And this is a film full of speechifying. It's, I think it's only the goofiness of it that stops me from hating. Oh, totally. I mean, the, hating the dialogue all the, all is the terrible. Dialogue, yeah. Especially, you know, the Sarah Paulson's character, which is playing a psychiatrist. This is some of the worst psychiatrist dialogue and writing her I've acting, seen. Her acting is her really acting, too acting, much. The yeah, character too is much. too much of like a type as opposed yeah. to a person. I would have loved somebody like Jodie Foster playing it or something. Jody, you know? Yeah, that would have been great. I was great. just thinking, you know, very Silence of the Lambs, very sort of poker-faced would have been much more interesting. I think she kind of made it too obvious. Yeah. I think if we had seen the film that other critics seem to have seen, then the psychologist character would have just like absolutely killed the film. Sure. But I think that there's the realization of this is so ridiculous. Well, you're having arguments about comic book minute. You know, yeah, exactly. But also details but the fact that plot arcs between a psychologist and superheroes. And I'm thinking, okay, this is absurd. And and, and and just the fact that it's talking about something called the superhero delusion from yeah, comic books. It signposts its ridiculousness quite in the beginning yeah I think so, so if, you're, too. if you're not buying into that universe then it's, this movie is not for you yeah like you're not looking for some kind of diagnostic manual for level arguments about which kind of mental disorder we're talking yeah. about now nah, it's it's pretty basic it's pretty it's it's not that deep yeah <laughs> it's not deep but at all part, but part of the fun like like you mentioned Shyamalan does incredibly well is that the speechifying works to set up these sort of visual cues that work really yeah, well for the uh, film yeah that's right um, for example m- the music cues that build up for you know the show about yeah. very sincere moments about payoffs about being mm. superheroes and I just want to give praise to Shyamalan's visual sense which I think has developed a long way from his earlier films um, I think it's really strong right now this is really playfully shot the, the going back to the fight scenes we we're talking about oh, earlier yeah. it's like pov you know snorikam as darren aronofsky i think called it <laughs> where yeah. there's a camera right in the person's face as they're being yeah. gripped from behind and twirled around but um, even, even glasses first reveal is that is a pov shot yeah that's right really interesting. interesting off-center camera moves um the aforementioned scene where the camera's panning between yeah. the horde and sarah paulson's psychologist yeah. and, but also how the, each it, it, character is looked at yeah for example, the point of view shot where Sarah Paulson's character is tilting her head yeah. to look at glass, and that was a very interesting off shot. That's right, shot. and there's an amazing Hitchcockian zoom in this oh, stare-down yeah. moment between Bruce Will- which is hilarious. I think that but, this but film, the, the playfulness comes yeah. through and was making me laugh. Which also kind of makes me sad, because what are we expecting from superhero movies now? You know, are we expecting the big spectacle, or are we expecting interesting filmmaking? Yeah, which is an interesting for me, dynamic. this is interesting filmmaking, yeah. and uh, um, it's especially interesting because because we live in a superhero movie saturated time. People have said, what's the point of this down-to-earth superhero movie in a time when superheroes are a dime a dozen and we are always seeing different versions of it? But I think now is the perfect time for a movie like Unbreakable to come back because it just sticks a pin into the enormous balloon of superhero world building. Um, DC has been trying to do this, right, for eternity. But about, this is so no, no, much more no, successful no, but, than but the also Justice like, League. You know, 
No, 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 not, not in that sense. Superman. Yeah, yeah, but at, like at, DC in that sense about yeah. trying to make movies about what it means to be a superhero. It's gritty. You know, this kind of philosophical diatribes. But, but this movie, in its speechifying or whatever, we call them flaws, yeah. but they actually contribute to a very much sincerity of it. Which, I agree. Which that lacks. The, the um, speechifying about what it means to be a superhero midway through the movie was actually starting to get to me and I was yeah. finding it quite poignant. <laughs> it was getting at like what is inspiring about superhero archetypes and the essence of what makes yeah. them great and the idea of believing in something, yeah, which is the appeal of comic and, books. And, and also, you know, the, the sort of I, I love that. Throwaway scenes about this neon with, you know, oh, yeah. in, in, in Heroes, the bookstore. Heroes, and villains. A character goes in the bookstore looking for comic books and he's looking in the hero's aisle and you have a hero's neon sign. Yeah. But he's like, oh, I haven't found the right character. And pop right behind him. It's a villain's aisle. Yeah. And that's when he had the brainwave. Maybe I've been looking in the wrong aisle all along. I should be yeah. looking at the villain's aisle. There's a it's hilarious funny. scene it's, it's, it's of looking through scene. the comic books to find out that um, there's you know, a parallel to a, a man-beast character exists and it's yeah. accompanied by huge music on the soundtrack. And but it's also like, like is incredible. That's sort of like, I don't know. No, no, but, it's, but also the whole movie is like making the, the mundane into the epic and yeah. but simultaneously but, but being I, but aware I, that actually But I love that shot because, you know, it was back and forth, back and forth. And each time you zooming into the comic book mm. panel even more and more and more and more. So it just felt yeah. like, you know, that kind of uh, the meme shot where you just keep zooming in. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And you're like, oh my God, a big reveal. But it's not really. It's not that big of a reveal. <laughs> it's not really. All right. But that's the fun part of it. All right. So it's no big deal. Just Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's just Shyamalan's style. He sometimes blows things up when it's like, all right. But but that's the thing. I'm I'm really happy that he's aware of that. He's aware. He's seems to be becoming it. more self-aware. And this Bloomhouse and uh, Shyamalan kind of co-production seems like a good would the, be an interesting. I think thing. It, I think it's a good uh, collaboration. They've worked together on his last three films, which, have, in my opinion, have really brought him back. So yeah. I think Shyamalan had become a laughing stock, and I think I I don't care what other people think about Glass. I think he's back. He's back to making interesting, fascinatingly weird, clumsy. Because, because even uh, because even when he films, was like, like doing, what anyone else is doing, genuinely yeah, original. Even when he was making bad movies, he was still making them bad for spectacularly original reasons. That's right. Like you know, I think I, I think we need M Night Shyamalan more than ever in the I current can never Hollywood point to, big, big like, budget you know, blockbuster landscape. A, a correlative Lady in the Water companion oh, piece that I can film. say yeah I know but it, it's such an originally <laughs> bad is, film it is yeah. I, I cannot point out same Only mistakes a really talented person could make a film such a bad that, film yeah, that's know, right. which has like such trademark Shyamalan uh, badness. Yes. Which is just like, you know, only you can think of Be that. Be bad it, in this way. Exactly. It's, but it's also, did it my way. Yeah. Literally, you know, he makes bad films his own way. He does, yeah. I, I do agree with that. And that's something very endearing about that. Yeah, I think we, we're losing that in this kind of whatever, this hyper fast right. pace. This is a film universe. that was made with zero input of the studios almost. Shyamalan it, put in it, a lot of his own money to guarantee yeah. creative control. And God bless him. Because but, no but one also, else is making this kind of weirdness. It requires patience to it does. Watch it. That's true. That, and that's something very interesting because it's, it's all about the build-up. the trend. It's all about the build-up. Yes. He's always it, been that way. And I, I, I am really thankful that he's sticking with that in a time when I mean, we're moving more and more into instant gratification. And I think what I've heard or what I've read is that most people are disappointed that it doesn't even have a payoff. Yeah. It, it's interesting uh, how the film is about something else entirely and it's about it's about you, something you that you find cheated. along the way. Yeah, but I can cheated. see people feeling cheated if they think it's going to be about what but, the But maybe maybe that's more really common about our expectations and from superhero movies. That's true. Yeah, like we're so f- and the films generically about, fed. It's all about trying to present something different using superheroes, something completely different to what else is out there. And people are going to go in expecting what the convention dictates, and you know this isn't that. That's glass. We hope you like it, and uh, you know it needs more fans. Just go in 
with lesser go in go in ready for anything yeah yeah go in ready for some strange directions so on on the subject of the superhero glut i didn't see it but what did you think of aquaman Okay, Aquaman. Oh, wow, this this is an interesting segue from like Glass, which is very grounded, yep. to Aquaman, which is completely over the top. It's made a lot of money. Gosh, it did, uh, it did make a lot of but money. But that hasn't stopped us from completely pooing over some films. Yep. So we're gonna do it again. Mm. Here we are. Okay, Aquaman is a fun DC movie. Yep. That's all. I mean, that's all it's had going for All right, it. so that was Aquaman. <laughs> the <No>. thing is, <laughs> like, and I'm saying that as a disclaimer because... DC's not usually fun. They, I, I think they're just so self-serious. Yeah. Aquaman is the first time where they really thought, what will it be like if our characters could actually have fun? Jason Momoa's character and his actual personality off-screen does a lot to feed into that. I think because he's someone who just oozes a lot of charisma. Hmm. And and this kind of very playful larrikin. He's a, basically a Thor replacement. Seems it's, like it's to Marvel's me to be Thor. going for that like quippy. Yeah, you know, bro, do whoa. But also, I, th- I think with Momoa, comedy. what the interesting thing is, his dialogue delivery is barely understandable. So you're not actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The good thing about that is he gets to do a lot more physical comedy. Chris Hemsworth, I, I feel, is become a revelation in the comedic space. More than the action space, so I, yeah. I think he should be more explored as a comedic actor. Just Same with think, Jason Momoa. Okay. I, th- I think these kind of very physically bulky dudes are actually so self-aware of their physical sort of you know imperviousness and how they physically intimidate people that they can use that to ad- advantage on the on screen, right? And actually, you know, do some interesting physical comedy. That's probably the most interesting thing about Aquaman, where they're using a very physically intimidating character. To basically make fun of that right. is sort of physical intimidation and how basically how much of a you know tank top dude he looks like, dude bro. Yeah. So in that sense, about masculinity and what it takes to be you know self aware man in the twenty first century and have the mantle of a superhero, I think it's got a very interesting subversive commentary. I'm very thankful that this didn't go the DC way of you know. What is, does it mean to be a superhero? Am I ready for being a superhero? This kind of stuff. It's just a. It's more of just a surface level, like sincere superhero narrative. Sincere and and, and also James Wan. I got to give him credit. His underwater world building is actually interesting. Yeah, how is the action? I've heard it's pretty big scale. It, it's very big scale, uh, and also there's you know incredibly well lit. Mm. Which is good, uh, well, not dark DC's film. It's not like everything is happening at night. Bright, colorful, Avatar esque. Yeah. yeah, not as not as much. Still the sepia toned kind of feel to it, unfortunately. Okay. But like it, it, it's got you know the spectacle element to it. Mm. It, it really is takes the time to show you parts of the world, and not everything is building up to an action set piece. Right. It still has this, you know the usual beat of uh, an action film that it has to go through, mm. but it's still taking time to actually. You know, but here's a cutaway shot to something interesting, which is part of this world, which you're not going to see again. But, you know, it adds to the whatever interesting thing for the world. And it's a quest story, you know. Yeah. The hero has to go through. It's essentially the Lion King. That's okay, what I'm trying to say. right. The, so is Black Panther. But it, essentially, it is Black Panther. It is the, okay. the same template. The Thank God we have someone like M. Night Shyamalan to bust this template but open, the, right? The, the reluctant uh, son of, you know, uh, a, a kingdom... Uh, isn't sure whether he's ready to take over, has to find his half-brother, Orm, essentially, for the throne. It's Black Panther. It's basically right, right. this is Black Panther. Okay, but so fun, but fun. So continuing... Also, Amber Heard, actually. The, the female characters are the more interesting ones in this one, which have more to same, do... Same, same is true of Black Panther. Yeah, and uh, 
here, especially Amber Heard's character who's playing, you know, uh, Mira saves the life of Aquaman or Arthur Curry mm. quite a few times and she gets nothing in return. So she gets a pretty raw deal, to be honest. Uh, you know, she, all she has to do is then romance, uh, you know, Jason Momoa, which I guess in some cases you can call that a pretty good deal from where you're looking at it. <laughs> but, it but like as a character, he's not really that interesting. He's just like a very thick blockhead. Right. And then you're like, okay, cool. But like, just it's like a yeah. So it's Nicole Kidman who plays his mother, and uh, Amber Heard who plays his love interest. Get a lot more to do, and it's not very interesting. William Defoe is interesting as well. So yeah, all dudes around him, pretty cool. Women around him, pretty cool. Him, not so much. But he's Good hot. God, it sounds exactly the same as Black Panther in but so he's many hot. ways. Yeah. Um. So continuing the superhero trend, yes. it's still around in cinemas. Spider Man into the Spider Verse. What do we think? Oh my God, I I loved it. Yeah. It's it's the best Spider-Man movie since my very first Spider-Man experience. Right. I think um personally I still prefer Spider-Man 2. Yeah. But um only just. For me that these films are pretty pretty much evenly matched and for me that puts them right at the top of the superhero genre. Uh Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is a CG animated Spider-Man movie about Miles Morales taking up the mantle of of Spider-Man after learning about the existence of multiple dimensions and the and the ability for there to be multiple different Spider-Men. Um, it's an unusual take, but the meta-ness, I felt, was interesting because it's honest to the way that we engage with these characters these days. I mean, it's very much a film for our time. I think it's hard for people to just watch the, the standard... Origin superhero story yeah. template. Yeah. That's right. The standard, you know, the innocent young boy becomes super strong superhero thing when we're seeing it all the time in so many different variations. So I think there's something honest about meeting the audience's expectations to say, yes, this character exists in many different guises. Superheroes aren't that special. They're, they're actually all out there just beyond the veil that the characters in the film can't see. The opening sequence um, brings in memes about Spider-Man that yes. exist in yeah. a flatter to the audience and say, this is Spider-Man and show him as a comic book character. Um, Which also kind of like made me realize that maybe the best medium for superhero and comic movies are still... You know, Legends. animation. Absolutely. And there's so much more inventiveness that you can actually put in. Yeah. The actual comic book feel to it, uh, you know, the closest we've come to that in the real world is Scott Pilgrim, essentially. Yeah. But still, like, well, this the, had the, the, a lot of... and The the Japanese, uh, um, you know, almost all their animation industry comes from animating their, their massive comic book surplus. And uh, this film, I think, actually borrows a lot from the Japanese approach. It does. There's some well, it has a Japanese... Uh, character in it, yeah. Nice yeah. tip of the hat. Um, a Japanese Spider-Man. Without, without, without it being, you know, completely racist or xenophobic, which also mm. I appreciate it, because usually when you go different culture, unfortunately, it doesn't have a good yeah, track this record. this was respectful. This is probably the most visually inventive Hollywood film of the year. 2018. There's some really striking compositions. I found it interesting that the animation style is this kind of, again, anime-esque staccato style yes. where instead of it being in fluid 24 frames per second, they've done what the ja what Japanese animators often do, which is uh, animate less frames but make more interesting and dynamic frames. Yeah. And, and each frame is leading into different styles which you wouldn't expect. You mm -hmm. would, like, you would because you know how our brains work. They, we preempt the next shot. Yeah. They, like, I've heard this. Like, I've seen this much and then your brain starts yeah, forming the next, next. scene. That's and the then, art of animation. Exactly, and it's all about predicting. And they mm. usually, what this film does really well is that it just plays with that expectation. Yeah, because... A lot of those scenes where you think that, oh, this is not going to be the next shot. Nope, it's yeah. like something Very else happens. Very comic book and anime-esque effects where suddenly 
the frame comes alive with color. Yeah. You know, like the background has been replaced by speed lines. I was thinking a lot about you know, Nighty Short Walk on Girl when I was watching this. Right. Masaki because Yasa. I was getting a lot of that, uh, especially how, you know, you have these quick cutaways mm. about, you know, expectations versus what actually happens. And that plays around with your visual narrative. In the bicycle scenes in Nighty Short Walk on Girl. Right. And, you know, you have this sort of very fast thing and, you know, he's sort of dodging a lot of things. And that's what how the spider sling scenes are done as well. The point of view shots in Spider-Man, especially, which is most fun to do in any yes. Spider-Man movie because, you know, he's just literally flying across the city, mm. are also really interesting because you get to see him stumble in so ways dynamic. that are yeah, very, so very dynamic. It's a first-person kind of feel of to it. This is one of the few Hollywood films in recent times, Glass would be another, that I feel is actually trying to do interesting, different things with the camera. You know, I feel like trying to surprise people in the way you f- and trying to film things in different ways seems to be yeah. a lot of the times, going away. A lot of the times I did feel I was, uh, you know, watching a first person kind of uh, film where I right, was right. Spider-Man and it was seen from that yeah. perspective. And the way that the multi-dimensional stuff was yeah. depicted was really yeah. the, I'm popping out the there. Noir, noir the noir Spider-Man. noir Spider-Man, yeah. yeah oh my God, it's, it's great. But also like that was almost occupying a part of the frame where the colors were totally like, you know, deliberately different yes. from the rest of the frame. So much visual creativity. <laughs> Going back to the story of it, I oh, found yeah. that... It has a story as well, guys. It sorry. does have a story. Sorry. It's not just sorry. a visual experience. Um, <laughs> the, sorry, a, a Malik uh, sort of intuition yeah. got away from us. It does have a story. It's a proper, you know, <laughs> yeah. narrative film. Don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> the plot and everything else. But, yep. Yeah, <laughs> all those things. Um, yeah, th- this film made me care about some of the aspects of the Spider-Man origin story that are, you know, completely played out, that, you know, the Andrew Garfield movies, for example, when they rehash these elements, I just thought, I do not give a shit. Whereas in Into the Spider-Verse, they've found ways to refresh, play with the scale of how we perceive Spider-Man with Miles Morales and the stakes up against him and his place in the world so that the usual beats of his origin story really hit hard and feel fresh. They've found ways to surprise you. I mean, even the alternate universe of peter parker and what oh, he yeah. was going through i was that was, you know, great. That that was, was a very classic, interesting really... uh, sort of take of like what would peter parker be in his midlife crisis yeah and that's it's interesting this movie brings in a lot of aspects of the spider-man character that have been in the comics but haven't really been yeah. in the films before because before the um never mind i'm getting into i'm on the we're, we're getting the into comics comic around, but, but yeah but you know spider-man, spider-man as an adult struggling with his relationship with mary jane and trying to be a good guy is a thing that's been in the comics but yeah. those films have always because avoided it, but I, now that they have the freedom not just to keep peter parker as a relatable to yeah. the young audience teenage character by introducing this multi-dimensional thing yeah. we're able to have that in miles morales and then see but the but even even as peter miles parker, what, side to him. even with miles uh, what i found really interesting was the political commentary especially with this family dynamic of, you know, what being part of, you know, uh, African-American is in mm. this kind of contemporary universe. Did what it are the much better than Black Panther in my opinion. Yeah, actually, yeah. Especially, you know, because his dad is a police officer. So yeah. there is this kind of pressure to uphold the law. Yeah. Even then, even though you're part of the hood. So like all these kind of conflicting, interesting undertones of, you know, embracing black identity, yeah. black culture, while also trying to fit because in with... The- the because his, uh, his uncle wa- is not is a is, is a criminal, while yeah. his dad his dad is a cop. Yeah, you know? so it's it's interesting, and uh, and that this is a story that actually uh, what I I'm sort of keep hearing about all the time from African American sort of narratives is about the struggle to actually get accepted as you know not the other right. but somebody this part of the right side of the tracks. And this film weaved it in in a in a subtle way. 
Very subtle. Um, there are, now that we've spent all this time praising it, I have to complain. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you sure? Are you sure we're up for I mean, yeah, breaking yeah. the loving why, why mutual not? appreciation of Into the Spider-Verse? I mean, to be honest... About to be disrupted? Like, we're, we're complaining about movies that are universally loved yeah. and loving movies that are universally complained about. So I guess we're still on brand. Right. So it's okay. Um, I felt like this film disappointed me in the last stretch because until then it's been so I, th- I think different in the way it feels and suddenly it gets overwhelmed in this oh, the CGI really long heavy, CGI yeah. heavy action sequence with fall, giant falling things in, in space like just felt like okay we've moved from you know we're, we're back into familiar territory now we're back into yeah. this film doing the same thing as every other superhero film when up until that moment it had felt like a, a new take but, but, but even then uh, what I did find quite uplifting was the whole idea of uh, Miles' character actually taking that leap of faith and actually believing right. was I, a much more genuine origin story. Because I know that's that's basically every superhero's reluctant struggle. Yeah. Am I worth it? Am I, you know, why do I have to carry the mantle? Which, and that's quite a Spider-Man. Because the point yeah. of Spider-Man is that he's not Superman. He's a teenager. Yeah, exactly. And he, and he has self-doubt. Yeah. And he has to rise to the challenge. But but I think um, with this movie, especially with the stakes, which actually... The stakes were really great. This really, film, really did. And you, you genuinely could, you could felt see. the stakes in relation to the scale of Miles Morales and his struggle. And also, like, the sense of danger. It, yeah. was, it was so much more prevalent than it is in any of the big Marvel releases, save for Infinity War. Yeah. Um, and But also, like, because... The stakes were very Consequences personal. Consequences feel real, and it's very personal. Personal. So say. it yeah. wasn't about saving the world. It's mostly mm-hmm. about saving your family, yeah. which is like you know a very personal thing for a teenager. Right. I think that would matter more anyway than you know the world. That's true. As an abstract concept. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, um, what is th- the world? My think, world is my family. Yeah, <laughs> and I think this pulled this off in a way in a way that made it feel way more significant than Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah. Which tried to make it a smaller, a more personal struggle, but to me still felt kind of empty and inf- overinflated, as Marvel Be- tends to. Because this is also sincere like yeah, once again like both, both glass and this one are more sincere than aquaman or any other kind of movie which is trying which is trying to basically be a cash grab which is they're succeeding in doing that but anyway agreed um but yeah something that disappointed me about this film when the massive spectacle overwhelmed it i felt like i was actually wanting to see more development towards the resolution of the dynamic between Peter Parker and Miles Morales which really is the heart of this film and it made me feel that you know the obligations to the genre will trump that so that when that when that um, resolution came it felt like it was a little bit too soon and not worthy of the development leading up to it like like the film just dropped the ball at the last minute um and i i didn't mind it mainly because like i wasn't expecting it to be that good anyway right but the movie so, was already way above yeah exactly so it's like just uh, that when when it's so finally it's sort of like of quality you want it to it's sort of staccato to like know? plateaued into some kind of and then rather than like, you know, rising, because it was already so high. Yeah. I think it was just like, oh, okay, you know. But yeah, to... But also like the smaller nods about, you know, having Dr. Octopus as a character. and what Oh yeah, the way that. they do Dr. Octopus was fantastic and very even surprising. The reveal we, we, we was actually pretty funny. Away. Yeah, yeah, it was hilarious. That scene was was so creatively staged. So same as um even a conversation scene between Miles and Gwen. Yes. Where um, it, the frame reminded me of some of the more inventive anime direction I've seen where, you know, the frame pauses and you're hearing thoughts inside his mind as he's analyzing the scene in slow motion. Again, you know, really original direction. There's so much stuff this film does does well. And yet, I had yeah. this niggling sense of, 
I, I think, disappointment at the end of it. Um, and I think maybe this says more about me. Because it's a co- Marvel movie, Chris. Well, that's where <laughs> yeah, the disappointment yeah, comes in. Right. It probably says more about me than the film. But y- the You were f- like, the logo, it has to disappoint me sometime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when, at the end of the movie, as I said, you know, it kind of short shrimps the, the Peter Parker and Miles Morales thing being resolved. And then it really heavily pushes the message of like, Miles Morales is here, baby. We've got a new Spider-Man to close out. And yeah, they always needed to put the focus on Miles Morales is here. But I felt like I, I felt like I could see the corporate machinery behind the sense of like corporate executives leaning over the shoulder of the filmmakers. Like, don't forget, guys, this we is about th- establishing a new Spider-Man. This is about establishing a new universe we can make Spider-Man movies and sequels to. Um, and like maybe once that 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 suspicion creeps into your head, you can't help but be a cynical bastard about everything else. Because I started to think, like, okay, I, it was cool to see all the multi-dimensional different Spider-Man, but maybe we spend so much time with them as opposed to developing some of the more emotional beats more because we have to sell toys of different different versions of Spider-Man. That's true. I mean, it's still a pretty. It still is a cool <laughs> thing and funny to see these different Spider-Man, but. I don't know. I'm just, I mean, it's just yeah. hard. Like, it's like the well is poisoned with the superhero I, I, franchising. I, I agree. That it's hard I agree. To take I mean, it on its own terms anymore. Because, like, you know, it, it's still a production kind of, you know, studio backing. It's still trying to set up something else. Everything is setting up something else. There's nothing individual on its own. Yep. So, like, but I'm still glad that they could leave that for the last two minutes rather than, you know, making it the. Yeah, make it. Day. Yeah. It's still less of a cash grab than a lot of other movies. I'm not. Probably true. Yeah, even like with Avengers, like it, yeah, it, it's yeah. it's not as blatantly histrionic. It's not as blatantly dull. Yeah, or or boring, or even just it's it's trying. And at this stage, I would just be happy with trying. I I agree with that, but there's a rant in coming. Yeah, yeah, I think that says something <laughs> about like where we are in terms of how we yeah. respond to superhero films now. Because I I thought like yeah, this film's trying really hard while being one of those films, and it's better than getting a big budget Marvel blockbuster that doesn't try, you know, which is what we've become used to. But it felt strange to me that so much creativity um, is being put into a Spider-Man project. And again, it's it's like how you'd rather have beautifully directed ads than boring ads, because if they're going to be there, at least they'd be beautiful. But it also makes you think, like, why is that being spent on this? Yeah, because like, it's like, you know, it's the most risk-averse project. Like, they have less to lose with Spider-Man as an entity and anything than with, like, Batman risks. or, like, Superman, yeah. But, no, but also... I think the I, mythology I mean, of Spider-Man is a lot more flexible because but we also haven't because had we an established have the live action Spider-Man. So with they're hedging their bets by you, you know, we have a safe live action Spider-Man. We're allowed no, no, to but experiment but even with then, this like, small the budget animated one. The legacy of Spider-Man on the screen is a lot less than what legacy of Superman and Batman is. But no, but Spider-Man I think is almost as popular a character as Batman. He is in the comic books, but the problem is like we haven't had that on-screen legacy that Batman or Superman have had. Right, which uh, gives you know, them flexibility. But like, also um, with Tom Holland playing a younger Spider-Man, I think it just set it up I, to have that, you know, and in the comic book kind of animated universe to be like, okay, people are accepting of a more younger Spider-Man, which is actually age-appropriate as for the comics. So why not actually do that? But look, I, I just... Looking at it, I, I felt like this is the devil's wager we have to take in the, the point we are with superhero movies is, okay, yes, you can have a movie with creative staging and eye-popping colors and, um, you know, all of the things that are lacking in the rest of the Hollywood programming, but it has to be Spider-Man. Like, you're not going to get that in an original project. That's too big a risk. You can have your Spider-Man-flavored, interesting, inventive animated I, I, film, I and agree. that's it. Like, I, 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 why, I, I, is, why isn't this experimentation in everywhere else? Why, you know... It's, I see what you're like, trying to say. I, it feels like 
you know, like the marketing side of filmmaking used to be like, let's find a market for this product. But now it's like no. dictating the whole thing. Let's design a product for the market. The market is lacking inventive, visually exploratory, sincere film. So let's make a Spider-Man one for that pro- market. And it's like, it's even though I lo- I really liked this film a lot, it still feels sad to me. It, it, it is sad. This the is, whole, the whole this is state the, of... We have to get that in a Spider-Man film and nowhere else. The whole state of mainstream cinema is sad to me. Yeah, very, very sad. But, but also from a marketing perspective and I can speak to that from as a marketing person uh, that's true of any product these days like you know it's it's not about finding your audience and trying to find a niche that you can sell a product to or fulfilling customer need it's mostly about seeing what legacy you already have and just building upon that yeah it, it, it's, that. It's, it's becoming you know for example let's say the iPhone is a classic example of this we'll just make minor updates and just make them you know buy something hmm which promises, you know, just little improvements rather than actually changing the game. Yeah. What they did, changing the game, has already happened, you know, the first iPhone or the first uh, shuffle, iPod shuffle or whatever. And now it's just about being risk-averse yep. and just building to the next update. Yep. That's that's where we are as, as a consumption society, unfortunately. We And we also don't have imagination in that sense. I think we're just fatigued in how much we are offered choice. So yeah. I think it's difficult to grab someone's attention because you had to do it in five seconds. And so it's easier to sell them a product which already has Spider-Man. legacy and nostalgia Spider-Man attached to it. with the other stuff you've been missing in, in exactly. mainstream cinema. Rather than a new superhero or a new thing which people you know, have to fill, find risk. interest in or yeah. nostalgia with. Yeah. Just play with nostalgia and feelings. It's many play people. Simple, easy, makes and, money. And uh, there's the trademark film fight club cynicism. Yeah, well. And now to a couple of Boxing Day releases, The Favourite and Vice. Firstly, Vice. Yeah, let's, let's do Vice first. Why not? We, yep. We're full of vices anyway. Yeah, well, this film... Yeah, it was this, full of vices, yeah, yeah. committed a lot of vices. Yeah, which is sad because I, I kind of like Adam McKay, to be honest. And yeah. I, I like the big short What a, a strange career trajectory. He went from being like the king of Hollywood dumb comedies, um, Anchorman, Step Brothers, etc., into clearly wanting an Oscar. Yeah. Um, but but still, uh, like you can see that there is some part of the soul of an actual creative filmmaker left. That's true. It's and just that it's lost in being quippy now. Well, the thing about The Big Shot, what set it apart is it's... Margot Robbie in a bathtub trying to explain economics to me, which really did set it apart. Well, and I really actually, did learn a lot. yes. Those sorts of things did set it apart because he went into this sort of prestige movie material with an interesting and an unusual take. And I think that is still there in Vice. Yeah. It's the other stuff. Formally, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> Vice is about Vice President Dick Cheney. Yeah. It's a biopic of him. I, it's something I don't think anyone asked for. So you'd think uh, Adam McKay might have something interesting and different to say about him. Well, no. Uh, I, I, th- I think it's, it's made essentially to make you feel better at the about fact your own that, that. No, the fact that Donald Trump is president. You know, the world is not entirely effed. We've had these similar moments of catastrophe and we've gotten through them. Mm. But I, th- I, I still don't see the point of this film. What's interesting about this film, is, again, it's, it's formal. It uses, it, you know, like some Malik style cinematography. There it is. Um, First one, you know, second, third, Malik no, no, whatever. Yeah. Scorsese, I, stopped, I lost count. Yeah, Scorsese-style editing, Scorsese-style narration, but it doesn't feel like a Scorsese imitator. Adam McKay is his own person because he adds True. in surreal elements, cutaways, he, and he's a, he's uh, comedy, a good filmmaker. strange comedy yeah, moments that come out of that's nowhere. True, that is true. He has the instinct to create something different to what everyone else is doing, and I appreciate that. Um, but what does this film have that's new to say about Dick Cheney? It, re- it constantly treats him as... He's a cipher. Like, what actually is motivating him? Why is he doing the things he's doing? We spend two and a, you know more than almost two hours twenty minutes exploring his journey, but we never really find out why he's doing what he's doing. 
But the mystery about because, him... Because Cheney in this film is just an object of ridicule, right? He, that's he, true. He, in, in a way, a Saturday Night Live sketch. I think uh, that's which true. Is, which is part of the problem with how, I think, uh, the world has come to deal with Trump as well. Right. That we, we, we've actually think that so, you know he's just an object of ridicule and a buffoon as such, without actually trying to diagnose what uh, uh, is that what makes him so incredibly attractive or powerful or whatever. Like we we just refuse to go well, into the depth. It's easy to just uh, dismiss them like this film seems to do. Like yeah. I, is the I wonder if the film is meant to make you wonder what's at the core of Dick Cheney because there's scenes like showing him as an ominous silhouette in, bathed in shadow that suggest that's what he's going for. But it doesn't feel like the mystery is something that's being that the other characters are wondering about. It really just feels like the mystery of who Dick Cheney is is the void at the core of this film. Because I think politically, it's not telling you something, it's, it's, anything you don't know. It's not a political film. It, it's uh, politically, it's just telling you bad, bad things are bad, bad people are bad. Those things you you it, know it, are bad were bad. It, it's just making f- people, you know, like oh, big revelation. Dark forces are pulling the strings behind the scenes in American yeah, politics. But, but right. isn't that isn't that the problem of uh, left classical liberalism at this point, where you know it's all about making fun uh, of things you don't understand? Yeah, it's everything is you know played up for a joke and a gag. Rather than trying well, to yeah, actually movie, get to a point, that's right. This movie dismisses characters and, and events with with simple gags. Um, but yeah, we spend so much time del- delving into Cheney, and I, I think a lot of people have wondered about the events, like the lead up to the Iraq War and, and what's going on behind the scenes. And I think it, it's inexcusable to make a production on this budget with this much talent behind it and not present anything new or different to add to the debate. Um, on top of that, you know, I, I honestly felt like. He was Adam McKay was sneering at the audience though at the beginning of the movie. Mo- like this movie's really self-satisfied. Um, also very smug. It, it, it's it just, so smug. It, it just and content at with the, being smug. It's at, not trying to yeah, be sincere. At the beginning and ending of the movie, there's moments where he's making fun of the perceived large swaths of the perceived general public. Um, like you're you're too dumb to care about the the true history that I'm about to reveal. I I just thought. Why do I want to be told this by the guy who made Anchorman? You smug, rich Hollywood bastard! Like they, this movie True. has no generosity towards the audience or towards its characters. And the, the the you know it it seems like midway through the film, it's about to add a lot of depth to Dick Cheney, which I think Christian Bale provides a, does a decent job of Christian providing. Christian Bale actually he's not given much to work yeah, with. True, and he actually does more about what's on paper than actually is required, uh, and that makes. Cheney's character appear more interesting than he actually is mm. how he's written because Mackay is just written as a one note character Christian Bale actually brings a lot more nuance to it uh, but the way it's written and how Mackay envisions him it's still played up as a buffoon from start to finish even in that characterization there's no progress yep. like you know he was a buffoon in the beginning but like and I feel like he, which is part of the problem which had the same issue in Black Clansman yeah. you know these are dangerous people and laughing at Nazis or laughing at powerful people who are corrupt or completely out of their minds mm. uh, is not an adequate response anymore. It, it, it's, it, it, it's been done and it's exactly. just Exactly. It's time boring. to really think more about why, the why and how. And this one doesn't have anything to offer. We're not content laughing at fascists. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's like, just a big shrug uh, of the movie. It's just, yeah. It just seems like a waste and a, a missed opportunity. Like comparing that with the big short, which actually tried to actually diagnose what caused the financial crisis and was very much interested in, in the repercussions and the aftermath and how it affected real people. Mm-hmm. You know, this has no emotional center. 
No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have it doesn't. emotional it's core. It's disconnected from who, from real people as well as being disconnected from the mind. As if Adam McKay is such a uh, smug liberal that he yeah. can't uh, he can't extend himself to actually try and imagine what's going through the heads of of these people. Yeah. So that was uh, that was Vice. Um, but you know, if you still like Adam McKay and you, and you want that kind of Saturday Night Live feeling, you're still gonna go and watch it. So. Might have but been, it's might like have Saturday Night Live meets 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 like smug seriousness. It's this yeah. straight. He cannot. He bit off more than he could chew. I think as a filmmaker, because he didn't show here that he could balance the the satire yeah. and the the surreal gags but with like he, seriousness of, of these events. There, there's nothing new. That's no, the thing. no, like, that's right. There's nothing this new. movie could not exist, and you still would know as much about Dick Cheney anyway. That's exactly right. I don't feel like I really learned anything. Yeah. Um. So onto the favorite. Uh, the favorite. If you don't know about it, it's about Queen Anne. Having, uh, you know, her—it's a new Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos movie yeah. about Queen Anne having her affections toyed with by different advisors, two women played by Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, who are fighting with each other over the Queen's affections. Yeah, well, apparently it it does have real basis in history about Queen Anne actually having two advisors, and uh, they had a torrid, uh, which was revealed after the the advisor that fell out of favor wrote, you know, in her memoirs. Right unfavorably about Queen Anne. So mm. this is an interesting story. But essentially, it's a black comedy about proletariat and people mm. of the rich ruling class and how that sort of... Tre- it's it's actually the most accessible Anthemos film. Yeah, it is. We're talking about that that way. It's still more formally basic. If, you, if you've approached Anthemos movies before, it's, it's uh, not as fun as The Lobster, but it still is trying to go for that kind of comic... Beats in terms of uh, its interesting, uh, unexpected turns of phrases. And Nicholas Holt. Did you like it? I. <laughs> I didn't like it that much either. I'm assuming I put words into your mouth there, but yeah. But the thing is, like, it's a Boxing Day release, right? Mm. From the time it came out, I did like it. Mm. As a Boxing Day movie, I think it's still the most interesting of all the Boxing Day releases. I think that's true. Yeah. So in the time it came out as a holiday release. I think it's still got a lot more traction, and so yes, right. Uh, if it came out in any other more interesting time, <laughs> right, uh, we're starved a bit at the moment. Yeah, but still, like you know, as as Lanthimos and what he's doing, I, st- I still don't think it's a bad movie. It's just a less interesting movie than his other movies. Olivia Coleman is fantastic. She, yeah, I think she really lifts the whole thing because as Queen Anne, she brings a lot of interior life and sadness and emotional depth yeah. to this. I just want to say, outside of the performances. I don't think there was enough depth. I think the script is really, really self-satisfied to the point of being, I just used that descriptive for two films in a row. Yeah. Uh, but both released on the same day. Yeah, that this film is self-satisfied to the degree, to the extent of being smug. Like in the, the script, which is full of profanity, um, often to me doesn't feel, with some exceptions, it mostly doesn't feel that witty in the way it's used. More that I could feel a sense of... Um, like schoolboy, schoolgirl, like Teehee, you know, aren't we being so bold and shocking by making a period piece where people use the, the C the, word? Like, the, the, you know, the, whatever. The, the, the thing is, though, uh, at, at some point, and a lot of that credit has to go with to Olivia Coleman. She's the only character that's got any transformation or progress. Like in the beginning, she's seen as that kind of character for comic relief that's going to be played around. But then you find out, like, you know, there's actual layers to her character and what she's gone through and how she deals That's with right. grief and emotion. And that turn is amazing because you forget at what point you started caring about her. 
You don't do that with any other character in this movie. Yeah, the problem for me is that most she's the only yeah, emotional center. Most of, this film. of the film is not about her and her struggles. It's really more about the cat fight between Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz's characters, and that's fun, but there's less not interesting. much. Yeah, there's not much emotional depth to it. Yeah. Um, at all, it's once you realize what's going on between them, the film just goes to a holding pattern and repeats the same kind of a- antics of, of, and one upping each other they've, that they've been doing it, so far. It, it was still fun. Okay, Rachel Weisz has done this before in The Lobster and whatever. She can play this kind of acerbic character in her sleep. and that was. But it was more interesting for me to see Emma Stone actually embrace that kind of quick-talking, quippy side to her character because I didn't think she had it in her to do that. She actually... But- I just didn't play the against type. Anyway. She does. I just didn't care that much for these characters or their conflict, as I said, because it just yeah. repeats itself. It, which is the same problem I had with Killing of a Sacred Deer last oh, killing, year. Killing, killing was it terrible. Just, it, you, it, it establishes a psychological dynamic and gamesmanship between characters, and then repeats that, repeats that, repeats that, as if dragging something out provides it with more depth. At least, but it doesn't. At least this didn't have that kind of hypertext way of talking that Lanthimos associates with people who are rich. Yes, perhaps and having the ruling a, class. a new, a different screenwriters helped out in that department. But, but it, there were some jokes. It is jokes, amusing at first. I just but there were some it's, jokes that were really funny. For it, example, it was, I remember specifically a sexual assault joke uh, which Emma Stone talks about which really took me off guard and was actually oh, laugh, yeah, laugh, yeah, laugh yeah, funny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very uh, dark. The black, very, the darkest, very dark. Okay, comedy. you know. But um, anyway. But it's just, I think it's, what I'm complaining about is a failure of the directing as much as it is of the writing because it's not just the lack of depth in the screenplay, it's the way that Lanthimos overlabors it and treats yeah, it, everything as it, if it, it has it more did, significance than it, it does. Didn't it didn't need to be maybe, divided into chapters, yeah, for example. If this, if the if the psychology of the warfare, the psychological warfare between these two characters was only going to be this deep, it didn't need to be labored over for so long. The ending of the film, I think, is pretty much a shrug after all this build-up, but Lanthimos does the same, again, the same thing he did in Killing of the Sacred Deer, provide this massively anticlimactic ending with like the sense of grand tragedy and really push the yeah. point as if we didn't get it. It's like but, enough but, to... but the thing is with that is actually that the turn, especially for Olivia Coleman's character in the last third mm. and her deterioration that wasn't established as that much. That should have been more of the focus. Because like, you know, uh, we suddenly see her, you know, at that stage and then in the next shot we see her almost, she's almost a different person because mm. she looks visibly completely spent. Yep. And I was like, when did this like, there's this passage yeah, of time. Spend some time on that because yeah. that's more interesting than. And than actually, the main her journey was always, you know, it's Queen Anne's journey, it's Queen Anne's dilemma mm. in the end, and we get little time with that. Yeah. Uh, the two characters around, they're fun, but actually, it's they're the least interesting because they get to play one note to people. Exactly. Aesthetically, I also had some issues with this. I think um, he Lanthimos establishes a style which is very much drawn from Barry Lyndon, but yeah, uh, he. Once he establishes a bunch of visual strategies, he uses the same ones for every single scene. So the film, for me, at, at first, it's like, oh, this is striking with the use of the the huge wide-angle lenses yeah. and you know, fish eyes and off-center framing, the camera pushing in and pa- and tilting upwards. And But then you notice that as opposed to this um, a new visual strategy being created for every scene to try and get at the, the core of what that, what's that about, which is what a director like Kubrick actually does... He has a distinctive style, but he's always fight, trying, looking for the right way to shoot the scene. In this, I felt like Lanthimos had thought up a few visual strategies and used it as a blanket approach for every single scene, and that makes the style feel less like it, the right way, you know, a, a well thought through way to visualize the the drama or the you know the nature of the scene, 
than it does just a visual affectation that he's slapdash applied over but, everything. But like I, I think Lanthimos does that just with putting on a mask. every movie that he actually has made so far. Like, it's mostly about affectation. Right. Right? Uh, Even it, in the dialogue as well. Yeah, it's yeah but, but it's the same thing, you know, the idea of using grand operatic music or jazz music or, you know, in The Killing, for example, using music cues from Greek, Greek tragedy to heighten every scene, uh, it does get repetitive and you yep. kind of see that affectation rather than actually doing something creative. It's fun for the first two or three scenes and then it becomes like, oh, okay, I get the point. Yeah. But anyway, for, for most mainstream audiences, it's still more inventive than anything they would see on a Boxing Day release. Well, I yeah, think. That, that's I think that, that we need to acknowledge that. You mm. know, it, it's still interesting when we went to see it, yeah. for example, that we had enough people there who were interested in this kind of a film. Yeah. Which usually, okay, maybe we need mainstream actors like Emma Stone and Rachel Wise to actually, you know, do these kind of projects to get mainstream commercial appeal to yeah. get these people into, you know, Palestine. Alanthamos, yeah. you know, something a bit unusual. To, yeah, and um, I, I, know, I know he's not that unusual, but for a lot of people, he's unusual. So I, I got to... pretty unusual. In some I, 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 I got I to uh, give that credit as much. Right. And, and actually... But Part of me is happy that we're getting, you know, mainstream actors trying to experiment with their whatever with their character with their persona. Yeah. Persona than whatever, you know, trying to This isn't things. this is against type for Emma Stone, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And uh, you know, there are pleasures to be had in this. It just feels like a very um for example, one Nic- note simple film Nic- which is Nic- really being propped up. What my favorite sort of character was Nicholas Holt, to be honest. Um, I agree, yeah. Nicholas uh, Holt was fantastic. Was and he was having a lot of fun. Clearly. Yeah. And it actually for a, once again, a very one note character, he was the one who had the most fun, most throwaway gags mm. in the way his dialogue delivery worked. Uh, once again, uh, actually stole the thunder in a few scenes, which I was not expecting, yeah. because he actually uh, delivers the lines in a way that you don't expect. That's true. Like, you know, there's some actual physical comedy that he brings in, yeah. uh, which uh, for a film that relies so much on speechifying, once again, and not a witty wordplay, when the physical comedy aspect comes in, it really, really, and really... And Nicholas Holt supplies a lot of that. Exactly. So, Because uh, I didn't see him in, in that kind of vein, so it was interesting. So yeah, Nicholas Holt, surprise package, mm. incredibly talented, great wigs. Right, right. Um, yeah, great wigs. I spent a, a lot overall. of time uh, last year when we were talking about Killing of a Sacred Deer. Or was it the year before? God, time flies. Yeah. Um, yeah, complaining about... Deers the, were killed sometimes. Yeah, the, the shining uh, fetishism all over that film. And here, as I made reference to earlier, it's replaced by Barry Lyndon. You know, um, aesthetically, in terms of the these ornate to the end, uh, ornate over-the-top uh, locations and makeup on the characters and the focus on the frivolousness of courtly life yeah um and the can you know s- shooting everything by candlelight um but also in terms of the contours of the plot where this is about a person coming from a low social class and scheming their way to the top but yeah. i think thinking about this comparison reveals the flaws of the film and a lot of lanthimos's approach in in general i would say if you you know kubrick is always thought of as like an ice cold filmmaker but if you look at Barry Lyndon, he at least allows us room to empathize with this character, even as he's satirizing his type and judging Barry Lyndon himself. If you compare his character to Emma Stone in this film, The Social Schema, um, there is no empathy. There's so much less. It's such a such a one-note, shallow wor- art work in comparison to what Kubrick put out. And um, yeah. I think if you're going to imitate the best, That's when you draw comparisons to something that great, you've got to have more to to live up to them. Uh, I agree. It, it doesn't do so in directorial choices, but I still think the ability in terms of casting makes this film a lot more interesting than it is. Emma Stone, Rachel Wise, and Olivia Colman, all three of them, Nicholas Holt, hmm. uh, even Mark Gaddis. Uh, like, you know, all these people actually 
played their parts much better than it, it was written. They yeah. brought a lot more dimension it's, it's to their roles. It's very much an actor's film. It is an act. It's an acted British film, yeah. actors film. Yeah, well, you know, the grand of, tradition. Yeah, you know, had had some high tea and scones and coffee and whatever. I uh, know you don't have coffee with high tea; you just have tea. Tea. Okay, whatever. High you know, tea and coffee is like for the true caffeine addicts. All right. Okay. You know, I clearly I haven't had high tea, so you can tell my Indian heritage is coming through there. Well, you <laughs> can. There's going to be more time to enjoy high tea over the rest of the summer before we return. Yes. Also, I'll be watching some tennis, and uh, Chris will be having not high tea at Rainbow Serpent and other substances. Uh, well, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe tea. Maybe okay. m- look. I'm sticking to tea. Okay, that you, That's true. you Virat clearly tea, doesn't know me well enough. Tea, tea, I'm, I'm tea is very tea soothing. Is, tea, tea is indeed very soothing. Tea, um, tea. We'll be back when we return. I uh, <laughs> because of the slapdash way that we've put this together, I can't remember when Glenn is coming back. I'm pretty sure we're returning well, like mid February. You know, like Keep like James out. Bond, Glenn Falkenstein will return. Yes, he will. <laughs> in, in the next Fight episode, will, will return. Um, but until then, we're going to keep doing things our way. Our way. Good night, everyone. Good night. Love movies. See you Hate later. Biscuit, but play it anyway for the lols. Okay, this is Hate yourself for saying for the lols on live radio. <laughs> That's okay. Self-loading is our brand. This is Virat Nehru and Chris Evans. Good night. Love movies. Fight over them. Bye bye. <laughs>